Hi there. Before we start this episode 29 of Project Footballer, I wanted to give a very short message to explain some context and reasoning as to why we've organised a conversation with Rob Moore, who by his own admission has no background in football. He's given advice, financial advice to a number of footballers, but he doesn't come from a football coaching background and hasn't developed any footballers. So there might be parts of the episode that you think that it's very different from past episodes and you might question why we've gone about organising this. But part of this evolution of initially trying to understand, you know, making a child into a footballer, is it possible? How much of it down, is down to nature and nurture? Then some of the questions that are coming about are, is it right to help your child pursue professional football? What happens if they don't make it? What skills should they be left with? What happens to footballers if they do make it? Um, you'll see in this episode that there's a stat that around an estimated 40% of footballers go bankrupt five years after playing. Many more have real financial difficulties. So this is the running theme that's going to come through this episode. I hope you get a lot from it. I certainly did. And obviously football development and help the stories of parents who've helped their children become footballers, that's going to stay core of the podcast. But it doesn't mean that we can't be brave and have different conversations at times. So I wanted to give you that message before going into this. And I want you to view this episode with a really open mind. Thanks. A low end first professional contract will be about 100,000 a year. Good one, 300,000. These young lads are spending 90% of what they get. I wouldn't be surprised if they're spending 105% yeah, of yeah, what they get. Yeah. It's the private shopper at Selfridges. It's the private room at Nobu. VIP so holidays. That stuff you've just mentioned. Yeah. You should be buying from passive income from assets. The risks of trying to be a footballer and what happens if you don't make it without a plan B. Rob Moore, author, wealth coach, investor. Money does not equal happiness, but it's better than being broke. Teaching your children to be good with money is not a plan B. It is an absolute fundamental. If you are going all in with your kids to be the next Lionel Messi and that you are not learning about money and making money, then maybe you need to have a bit, a bit more balance as a parent. Today on this episode of Project Footballer, I'm focusing on the topic of money management, the risks of trying to be a footballer and what happens if you don't make it without a plan B. If your child does happen to make it, how do they avoid going bankrupt as currently 40% of footballers go bankrupt after playing football? To help me learn about this subject, we'll be speaking today with Rob Moore. Rob is an author, 
wealth coach, investor, and runs a foundation which aims to help as many young and underprivileged people start and scale meaningful businesses that change the world. Rob's personal vision is to help as many entrepreneurs start and scale their businesses and get a better financial education. Uh, thanks for joining me today, Rob. Pleasure. Some people might be thinking, well, I want my kid to be a footballer. Um, why do I need to understand, why do I need to hear from a wealth coach? Um, and why would you be the person they should listen to? What would you say to that? Yeah, I mean, I don't really like labels, but I'd probably define myself more as an entrepreneur. Okay. Um, so I have multiple, I have 14 companies. Right. And I think we've done over 200 million in sales. And I'm just writing my 20th book of which most of those are on business, finance, investing, that kind of thing. So I think that's why you've asked me to be here, not because I support Liverpool, <laughs> though I do. <laughs> um, look, I don't want to convince anyone of anything, but I think that, number one, the subject of money is not openly and honestly discussed enough in British culture. I think there's a cultural taboo, faux pas, about talking about money. I also have mentored many celebrities, footballers, rugby players, TV stars, many. You know, I'm not here to brag and mention all the names, but I have. Yeah. And many of them have challenges with evolving their career beyond film, TV, football, or whatever. You know, the, the stat that 40% of footballers go bust after their career is shocking. Yeah. That's nearly half. Yeah. Now, I imagine maybe you'd get less in the Premier League and a bit more as you go down, but there's obviously really a lot of high-profile cases as well. But I know why this is, because I know about money. Yeah. Because if you're a great footballer, but you don't know how to manage money, you can earn millions and still go bust. Um, because you don't know how to manage money. And if you don't know how to manage money and you get more money, the problems that you have in your life just get worse with more money. Mm. And I think it's wise. Look, m m I wanted my son to be world number one golfer and he was world number three, age six. And I took him around the world. And, and in the end, by about age seven, he, his career peaked <laughs> age seven, which of course is, you know, I know what it's like to be the, the pushy parent who wants the... Um, child to be successful. And I, and I, I did the best with, with what I knew. But ultimately, my son and my daughter, just like everyone's son and daughter, they are an individual human. They are them. They are not you. They're not born to be you. They're born to be them. Mm. And obviously, I did it myself, so I know. But you can live your own dream vicariously through your children, mm -hmm. which maybe isn't right for them. Um, and you have to be careful there. Um, uh, and then maybe naturally your child is good at football, but the statistics of making it are so low. The statistics of making it in any venture to be the best of the best is low. So if it's statistically really low to be the best of the best, surely it's wise to still learn how to manage money. Now, you can have some footballers in the lower leagues yeah. that could in their career, whole career make in, in the low or mid millions 
and still retire financially free. And you could have someone who earns 150, 200 grand a week and goes bust when they're 38. Mm. So it's how that person manages the money, not the amount of money that they make. And by the way, this isn't just football. This is life. Yes. And as you know, you know, I interviewed Paul Merson and, and, you know, I've had some good sports stars on my show. Yeah. And unfortunately with Paul, for example, you know, he was making his football decisions based on his addiction to gambling. He's, this is what he said to me. Yeah. He told me. Yeah. Not. He probably left Arsenal just at the wrong time. And he was a great footballer. But he got a big wave of money from Middlesbrough. And he knew he needed that money because he was, he was addicted to gambling. And he's honest enough to talk about that. So, yeah, look. I'm passionate about getting the conversation about money in people's minds. Yeah. And, like, whether your son or daughter is going to be a footballer or not. Yeah. Regardless, it is wise to arm them with good knowledge around money. Definitely. Because then they can go and be successful. What do you think about the statement that money doesn't buy happiness? I think money it's nonsense. Yeah. Nonsense. So the problem is society in terms of what you're led to believe. Yeah. You see the propaganda from the media or it's indoctrination from your parents, your society, your upbringing, etc. So it's loaded with other people's ulterior motives. So I'm just going to ask you a few questions. If you could just play along. Would you rather have a nice house or a little shed to live in? Just nice house. You'd like, like, if you're honest, and it doesn't matter what it is, would you like to have a, you know, a nice car that's modern, that works? Nice car. Yeah, not a shit one. Okay, fine. Would you rather, you know, have... All the top tech and gear, coaching aids, you know, all the, the best tech coaching aids, all the best cameras and microphones, or just have a, a, a one leather football <laughs> and a Zoom H1 to do your show. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And all, all these things cost a lot of money. Yeah. So, look, if you're unhappy and you, and you make more money, money will exaggerate your traits. Mm. So, money does not equal happiness but it's better than being broke and money creates freedom. Money is a tool. It's a training aid for your life. Yeah. So if you learn how to use this tool really well, like I actually do love money in that I know what it is. It's a really good tool. It's good leverage. Enables me to invest in properties to re receive passive income, to create a legacy for my children. It buys me the time so I can, bugger off somewhere nice for a month and write my book. Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, it enables me to hire a driver so I can come down here to your studio to, to make this happen. Um, as Oh, sorry, I can't get down because I can't get the train because I'm broke. So it's an enabler. Mon money is an enabler. It reduces friction. It increases speed. So this whole society and even religious-based imposed beliefs, you know, the love of money is the root of all evil and our money doesn't buy happiness. Well, who's telling you that? Do you think it's by design? Well, in my, in my opinion, the governments and the central banks and the system, the best use they can get out of you is to consume you for your resources, i.e., Let's make sure you pay 55, 60, 65, and 70% tax. 
Oh, get a mortgage and get a load of loans and let's make sure you're paying 7% interest to me for the rest of your life. This keeps the government alive. You know, look at how high taxes are. Look at how high now loans are. So the, I think that the system needs to feed itself. It may not have been designed this way and it might have evolved over centuries and it might have come from good intention. But where we're at right now, if you have a good accountant and manage to avoid a lot of your tax and if you don't need the banks for their money because you've got your own wealth, how are you useful to them? But here's the irony. You're the most useful to yourself. So, yeah, the system doesn't serve the populace. It serves the people that run the system. So what I try and teach people is, why don't you learn to become free and independent? And developing a skill like being a great footballer gives you the ability to earn the money, which gives you the ability to educate yourself and mobilize yourself. You know, if you have a bit of wealth, you, might, you can go over to Saudi and follow the money if you want. Or, or you know, you can do what you want. Mm. Um, but the key that people need to understand is money is a system. Yeah. There is a learnable system to become wealthy. There is also a system that people follow to become broke. It's just the wrong system and it's broken. And the system, and you say by design, they don't, want, they don't want you to know how to be independently wealthy because then you can avoid being a, a method of consumption for that society. Do you think there's a narrative that's pushed, especially to the lowest income brackets, that the escape, of the rat race or the escape to financial freedom is through sport, acting, music. I personally have never seen it that way or looked at it that way. I mean, I remember when the lockdown happened, the prime minister said, oh, look, anyone in the creative industries, you should just learn a new job. And, and, and so that sounds to me like the opposite of what you're saying. That sounds like they, you, you know, to me, to, like the arts, theater, Music. I mean, because football is entertainment, mm. you know, and it's obviously a very, it's very popular. Yeah. And, you know, when people say to me, oh, footballers don't deserve their salaries. Well, they entertain millions of people. And I believe that people deserve their salaries based on value. And if a female or a male footballer is more or less valuable, they should get paid more or less. Mm. That's why at the moment Messi gets paid more than the best female footballer, because currently he offers the most value to the most people. Um, so, no, I... I don't think society is built that way. I, 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 what I do, though, think is society wants us entertained and distracted. And for me, I, I, I love what I love about football is, well, there's many things I love about football. Yeah. But, of course, the best footballers have developed a skill and they have hustled and outworked and outsmarted and they've become the very best. Yeah. But then what you get is, Gambling ads all over football, which I despise. Yeah. So what, what the system is using is, you know, we'll use these great athletes and we'll pump billions into advertising for gambling. And you, we've attracted all the, the, the demographic of society to football that are perfect for getting addicted to gambling. Uh, that's what I despise. And I think that's yeah. what I don't, I don't think I think that's more where the system plays in okay. more than 
you know, the sport itself. Or great, great footballers are amazing athletes that offer amazing value to society, just like great podcasters are, yeah. or great doctors, or great lawyers, or, or great anything. See, I've seen a lot, um, and it happens in America, where you see that people will talk about the escape from the ghetto is get into rap music. You know, that's like one example. Um, I think that it happens with football where people might say, oh yeah, my kid can be a footballer, but they don't think of the other options. Almost maybe they don't believe there are other options. But like, you know, I, I know a lot, um, I've been on some of your courses, you know, I've read a lot about your work. Um, I know a lot of what you teach and you you teach that there's, a lot of mechanisms to make money and it's not as hard as you might think. Look, if, if the world knew what I know about making money, yeah. the world would be a lot richer and the governments and central banks would be a lot poorer. Really? A hundred percent. I have 340 properties. I have 1,350 tenants, I have 14 companies. Uh, you know, I did this from starting from scratch. So there's definitely a, a bottleneck somewhere in society whereby the secrets to being financially and personally and independently wealthy aren't being proliferated to the masses. So that's, that's one element. Look, some to some people, of course, football or rap music is an escape out of a very difficult location, geography, parenting, upbringing, and any successes get, you know, become a great entrepreneur, become a great anything. And you can turn a bad situation into good. Obviously things like football and music, they're loved by hundreds of millions of people. It's probably more people in the world probably want to be a footballer than they do an entrepreneur, but the, we're, talk, we're talking the same language. When you get really good at something, and you feel good and successful and people value you and you get paid fairly for that, that is the escape from poverty, from violence. Um, football isn't the only way to do that. It's a great way to do that. And also, business is quite similar to football in that if you love playing football and you focus on the art of football and continually trying to improve you're likely to get there in the end. And even if you don't make it as a footballer, you might make it as a commentator or you might make it as you work in the sport. You could, you'll find your level if you love the game mm. and you keep working and mm. you never quit because not everyone can be Lionel Messi. No. They, they can't. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to say, oh yeah, anyone can be. They can't. You know, there are physical attributes, there are geographical attributes, there are parenting attributes, but anyone can find their level of maximum potential. And also, you could have the potential of Messi, and then you, your career could be ruined by injury. You, you just don't know, but you can find your level. Hmm. I hear what you're saying about the other opportunities around the industry of football, let's give that example. Um, but you know, like, the average wage for a coach is £30,000, generally. Do you think that's enough money to be happy? No. What no, I think, I think, sorry to say this, but I think £30,000 is nowhere near enough money to live a good life right now. So do I think people getting paid £30,000 is fair? 
Well, it depends. It depends what they're doing. Do I think that nurses should be paid more, for example? Yes. Why aren't they? Because the, pu the public sector pays them and the public sector creates their value. If it was the private sector, because in the private sector, you can be paid 10 million pounds for your job if you're valuable. So there's something in the system. Uh, I, look, I don't know football as well as you, but I know that if that's going on at the grassroots of football, there's something fundamentally in the system and the value perception in football that's creating that. Because if they were perceived to be more valuable, they would be more valuable. The market, because like you described earlier, everyone is so passionate about football. It's the most popular game. So you have this abundance of people that are willing to do anything, take a pay cut to follow their passion, because that's often talked about in the media, follow your passion, work on your passion, do what you love. But then that drives the price down because there's so many people that are willing to work for 30,000. But then this is what I think everyone needs to really understand when they're pursuing the dream of becoming a footballer and they're not working hard and they're not thinking about the plan B, they're leaving their child with an option that at 16, they don't become a footballer yeah, or 18, whatever the age is. And then maybe they pursue football coaching yeah, or whatever they pursue. And, and then they're living a difficult life. Okay. So let me throw this at you. Teaching your children to be good with money is not a plan B. It is an absolute fundamental. And if you are going all in with your kids to be the next Lionel Messi and that you are not giving them, you know, a balanced breadth of the things that are really important, their health and well-being, learning to be good communicator with other humans and good socially, learning about money and making money, then maybe you need to have a bit, a bit more balance as a parent. Mm. Um, I would never squash anyone's dream. Because I'm a dreamer. And to be a really good, successful entrepreneur, you need to be a dreamer. To be a great footballer, you need to be a dreamer. But I'm also a realist. Because someone asked me, can everyone be an entrepreneur? No. In my ideal fantasy world, would I like people to believe that they could be an entrepreneur? Yes. If, everyone, if anyone really wanted to be one, and they really worked hard, would they increase their chances of being one? Yes. But is the failure rate still really high at becoming a successful entrepreneur? Yes. Mm. So despite all of this, it's still bloody hard. Mm. And surely it's the same with football. And it might even be worse because maybe, maybe a billion people in the world want to be a footballer. Or maybe, you know, 500 million. I don't know what the numbers are. But football is an international language. And in any country, I don't know what country doesn't like football. Even America does now. Mm. You know, so football, you Americans, it's football. <laughs> you don't, we don't wear, we don't kick it with a sock. Um, so uh, I'd love to come back to what you were talking about with the share of wealth in the, where you described um, if you could have your way, you know, and you could teach everyone in the world how yeah. to manage their money better. Do you believe that there's enough to go around? Yeah. Yeah? There is. Okay. There is virtually, virtually infinite amounts of money. 
But you just said that not everyone can be an entrepreneur. Because not anyone, not everyone can be a doctor, not everyone can be a lawyer, not everyone can be a podcaster, not everyone can be a rapper, not everyone can be a producer, not everyone can be a cameraman. Yeah. Like, I bet, imagine you're interviewing me and I'm an, a martial artist. Um, how many people come to a martial arts class once? Well, like most. How many get the white belt? I don't know, 30%. How many get black belt? 1%. Yeah. How many get third down? 0.1%. How many people become Jean-Claude Van Damme or whoever the modern version of that? I'm showing my age here, aren't I? Well, 0.001%. How many people become Lionel Messi? Lionel Messi. Yeah. So in anything, in any career, there's a pyramid. Mm. whereby to become the best, you are the 0.001, just like it is to become a millionaire or a billionaire. Mm. This is normal. So it's not harder or easier in any other industry to become the best other than the competitive element of just how many people you're competing with. Mm. So, you know, I don't have the physical attributes to be a footballer and I'm too old and that. But, you know, at 20, it may be easier for me to become the world champion of model aeroplanes, who I know that person, by the way, than it is to become Lionel Messi. But if I pursue something that I have the physical attributes to do, and I'm not delusional about that, and it's something I really want to do, I can get to the top. I can't always be number one because there's only one number one, but I might be number four or number six or number 22. Mm. And, 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 and that, that can make me a lot of money. So that, you have to have that dream to want to be the best. But you also have to understand that you are delusional because that is not statistically very likely. But at the same time, I am not a statistical average. I am, when it comes to being an entrepreneur, I am in the 0.001% club. I've had a business for 17 years. That's virtually impossible. So what sort of income level, if you had your dream, what, what level could everyone get to? You need 10 million in capital assets to be completely financially free. Okay. Now, here's the irony. Some footballers are earning that in a year. <laughs> Haaland is earning that in less than a year. Mm. So, in, you know, that's enough. Mm. One million isn't, by the way. Now, what one million isn't enough? I mean, imagine you need to live for another 50 or 60 years mm. if you're, you know, 21-year-old or, or you're footballer and your career ends at 25 because of a bad injury or you just can't, can't quite make it, how much do you need to live for another 50 or 60 years? Remember, everyone's living longer. Because mm. the way you work it out is you can live on 5% realistically of capital. So 5% of 10 million is 500 grand a year, but then you've got to pay half of that in tax. So that's 250 grand a year. And then you've got two kids, a house, a mortgage, a car, and everything, and blah, blah, blah. So, so, so like, this is why 30 grand is not enough money. This is why that study we were talking about before where, oh, well, apparently anything above 75,000 pounds, there's no material increase in happiness. That is bullshit. Number one, that study was done in the 1990s. Well, in the last three years, money is worth one third less. So 75 grand in the 1990s is probably now 250 grand now. So it's just rhetoric. It's, it's just nonsense. Mm. And, you know, I asked you... You know, would you want a nice house or a shit house, a nice car, a shit car? And then when we add up all the things you'd like to do, even if you're not being greedy, that make your life mobile and free, and then we added how much you needed to live, and then we doubled it to pay the government their tax. We're at a quarter of a million quid. Yeah. No problem. You know, to, to, to fully have, if, if not more. So, no, 30 grand is not enough. However, 
if you're starting out and you're 17 or you're 21 or you're 23 and you're living with your mum and you've not got any overheads, 30 grand can go a long way. Mm. But then what you've got to do is work your way up and find out how you turn that 30 into 50 and that 50 into 100 and that 100 into 200. And the way you do that is the value that you create. Like if you are really good at something, you can earn really good money. Mm. I, and look, I don't know the football industry as well as you, but there will be people who have never played football that are still making really good money out of football, whether it's podcasters or YouTubers or TikTokers. Mm. You, you, you know, there's, there's a lot of those tricksters that are doing really well. Yeah. So, you know, you've got to be creative. So I, I see the efforts that parents are putting into developing their children as footballers and the investments as well. Mm. And we did a recent poll on our Instagram that roughly about 3,000 people um, responded to it. Um, and the question was, if you're paying for a one-to-one -one football coach, are you still paying for an academic tutor? And the majority of people that were paying for these football coaches weren't doing anything for their academics. They weren't investing in that. Um, now, you might say, well, maybe they're teachers and maybe they don't have football knowledge, so that's why they have to make that investment, and they are teaching their child in the background. But my feeling would be that's not the case, and I think that people are going all in on trying to pursue football, and then after that, what will be will be. I, I, I think there's, there's a trend of that. What do you think of that strategy? I do not see why it should be mutually exclusive, whereby if you want to be the, you, you want to raise a kid who's great at football, you stop everything else. Now, if you think about life, what might be the most important things in life? Family, social, well-being, purpose. So purpose would, is football. Well-being is money, health, exercise, obviously, family and social are self-explanatory. So why are we having a conversation where we are sacrificing something that is an essential part of all of our lives? It, what I would say to anyone who's trying to raise a successful person as a football or athlete is they should still be learning about how money works mm. and how to become independently wealthy and financially free. Look, if you want a well-adjusted child, you know, who, who's strong mentally, um, teach them how to manage the money they earn and they'll make a lot more money out of the money that they earn. I've got a friend who retired in his, he, he was, um, he played rugby for Wales. Yeah. And he retired age 28 with an injury because he was financially free from the properties he'd bought with the money he'd earned hmm. as a rugby player. Yeah. Every single person from probably the lower leagues up ha earns enough money to do that. Are they doing it? So surely everyone should, this is my mission. Everybody should learn how to manage money. Surely you'd want to learn about What's a good, what's good food to eat? Surely you'd want to learn how to 
socialize and get on with other people. Money is as important because it's our universally exchanged mechanism of exchanging value. So I don't even know why it's a conversation, why people are making these sacrifices or, or why, why there isn't an education around this. Could it be by design? It could be, but I don't have a problem with that because otherwise people like me wouldn't exist uh -huh. to change the system. Mm, it, mm. It, it could be by design because, you know, be a good boy, pay your taxes, get your mortgages, get your car on finance, pay a 7 or 8 or 9% interest for the rest of your lives. Don't question inflation. Don't question quantitative easing. Don't question the bank's monopoly. Don't question this. Just do this. Mm. Yeah, I think, I think if we're honest, I think that's likely how uh, the, the, the big cats in society run society. But society can be like that, and I can still be independently wealthy yes. by learning how to build personal wealth and learning how to manage personal finance. What would you advise to parents to teach their children about money literacy? Okay. So um, understand that money is a tool. Money isn't good or bad, right or wrong. It's not conscious. It's a tool. Just like if you've got a loose stud on your football boot, yeah. you'd probably want something to screw that in. That's a tool. It's a lever. Like something that you screw your scut. I don't know if you do that anymore. Maybe I'm showing my age. I used to when I, you know, when I played rugby. When I, yeah, you used to screw your stud in. That's a, that's a lever. A wheel is a lever. Money is a lever. So teach them what money is. Money is a lever. A lever can be used for good. You can use a car jack to lift up a car to repair a car. Um, a lever can be used for bad. It can. You can use a crowbar to kill someone but then so, so so money is a lever yeah yeah so number one but that's a mindset so no, no 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 i mean it's not a mindset it's a reality of what money is how can you understand how to manage money if you don't know what money is I'm, so you I'm, have to understand what money is before you can then learn strategies and tactics of how to manage it better i'm trying to help the parents that maybe haven't got any understanding of this understand like, tangible things that they can do with their child like what does that conversation look like well all, what you're doing is rushing my answer sorry, <laughs> no, no, Rob. no i'm don't, sorry don't be sorry um <laughs> I, I could have you know never spend more than you earn save money and then the the surplus savings invest into assets have some of your money in hard assets like gold i can go on and on and on but if you've got fundamentally an, a lack of understanding of what money is or you're in a warped society where they believe money is the root of all evil, the, the, the tangible, practical tactics that you're, you're asking me for are not going to mean anything. Um, so when you understand that money is not good or bad, it's neutral, it's an effective tool for leverage. Then, okay, you don't judge people. You don't judge situations. Money in, money out. Okay, so now let's look at some tangible things. Number one, never spend more than you earn. So you could be a footballer earning 10 million a year and you could spend 11 million a year and get yourself in bankruptcy. Or you can be a footballer in the lower leagues and earn 70 grand a year and you could save 20 grand a year and live on 50 grand a How year. How does a parent teach their child that? Well, I mean, just listen to me. <laughs> listen to what I'm saying. You know, it, n money is both profoundly complicated and profoundly simple. So... Never spend more than you earn.
That is profoundly simple, isn't it? But it's also profoundly complicated. Otherwise, you wouldn't keep jumping in and asking more questions. Why is it profoundly complicated? Well, because no one does it. Why? Because brands advertise you to buy this. And you're emotional and you're like, oh, I'm scared to spend money. Oh, I feel guilty to spend money. Advertise, gamble, gamble, you know. And so the whole world is triggering us. And then when we're triggered, we're like, oh, spend. I feel bad about myself. Eat loads of ice cream, spend. And, and we've been raised to be a consumer society. So another thing is to, to never spend more than you earn. You have to know what you spend. So let me ask you and everyone listening on this show. Do you know to the nearest pound exactly how much you spend every month? And 99% of people, they do not know. They are deluded. They are deluded. I, I, I box, as you know. Um, and sometimes I'll spar with friends and we won't have a timer on. And we'll do a round. And my, my friend will go, oh, that was easy, a three and a half minute round. It was two minutes <laughs> because they're just knackered and they're just like, I bet it's a three and a half minute round. So, by the way, I've been on TV shows yeah. and I have mentored thousands of people and I say, how much do you spend every month? And they either go, uh, or they go, mm, about three grand a month. And it's actually four and a half or five or six. They have no, no idea. So, never spend more than you earn. How do you know how to do that? You need to know what you earn and know what you spend. Now, a footballer might think they've got a 500 grand a week contract, but you've got to work out all your taxes. It's not 500 grand a week. You know, it's 260 grand a week or, or, or whatever. And then you've got your agent on top and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, what you earn and what you get is not the same. So, know what you earn, know what you get net, because, you know, take home as they call it, don't they? And then you have to track everything you spend. And let's say you're spending 20% more than you're earning, which means your credit card bill is just going up every month and you get... And by the way, this is like the boiling the frog syndrome. Because if you're spending 5% more than you earn every month, that doesn't hurt you this month. It doesn't hurt you next month. It kills you in three to five years. Mm. You know, the concept of boiling the frog slowly. Mm. So... Then what you do is you look at everywhere you spend money and you question, well, do I need that? Do I need that? Do I need that? Do I need that? And then, now, by the way, it depends where you're at as to what you do, but I'm just going to assume that we're talking to people who, you know, are not rich yet. And so, you know, maybe they're struggling a bit. Um, well, you know, all the money you spend on cosmetics, all the money you spend on clothes, all your money you spend on food, you know, da 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 da, -da. Yeah. And you might only need to chop 15 to 20% of your spending. And now all of a sudden, you're spending 90% of what you earn, not 105%. So let's say you've got it to that point where you, you've got 10% left. Stage one is you've got to save it, which means stop spending it. But people think you can save your way to wealth. You cannot because inflation is more than interest and the banks want to earn on your money. So as soon as you build up enough of a savings pot, one grand, two grand, five grand, 10 grand, 20 grand, you invest it. And what you do is you invest your money into an inflation beating asset that goes up more than inflation. And then if you stick to that for long enough, you become financially free. So um, 
gold beats money. Money is worth one-seventh of what it was in 1971, but gold is worth thousands of percent more than what it was in 1971. Money, here's the thing, people don't know this, money is a depreciating liability. Money is not an asset. Cash is not an asset. Your money in the bank is not an asset. Because it, it, like the, the, the governments do not tell you what's going on. So let's say you do a, a balance inquiry. Let's say three years ago, you had 10 grand in the bank. And let's say you check now and you've got 11 grand in the bank. Oh, I've got a grand more. No, you haven't because your 10 grand has gone down to seven grand because of inflation. So you've actually got seven and a half grand when you thought you had 11. So you have to know what your money is and how much it's really worth. Yeah. And then once you're at these levels, this shit should be taught in school. Yeah. It's not because the system has another motive, which mm. you've been fishing on. <laughs> and, 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 and then once you've, you, you have your 10% and then it expands as you earn more money and you've got some deployable capital, then what you just have to do is learn how and where to invest it. You could save a business. You could put it into the FTSE 100. You could buy gold. Um, you could buy, invest in real estate and property. You know, there's, there's many different asset classes, which we can go into if you want. It just depends where you want to take me. Well, bringing it back to educating these children from a young age, combining their football development with teaching them money literacy. And football development starts now pretty much at four years old for a lot of children. We're signing kids in academies at under six. Sorry track that we sign them at academies at under nine they come into academies at under six so and then i mean five days a week parents are driving all over let's say in london they're driving to arsenal chelsea tottenham wherever doing one-to-one -one coaching playing for a grassroots team talking about football watching football it's absolute obsession there probably isn't a huge amount of time or money education. Don't agree with that. No, no, no. Yeah. I, I, don't me neither. Don't no, no, agree no. with that. I'm just explaining. Yeah. Um, like there's uh, always, there's I'm always a picture for you. There's I'm always, a picture. Yeah. There's always time for what's important. Oh, definitely, 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 put, definitely. Put an audio on in the car on the way to Arsenal Football Club. Definitely. Money by Rob Moore. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. You make time for what's important. But but what you just described there, you were talking at a very high adult level, understandably, but. It's almost like the. Oh no, no! I think what I said, I dumbed down. All Believe right, you me, okay. I could make it ten times more complicated. <laughs> okay, okay, but okay. You remember, I said many times, never spend more yeah, yeah, yeah. than you. You said talking. Most adults don't know that. Most but, adults in this country always spend more than they earn. This seems like where the education starts because it's like the adult, the parent has to take these actions themselves well, and make these changes. Here's the thing. Go I'm on. glad yes. you've talked a bit about the system and the government, which I guess is quite rare on a podcast like yours. Right. Because it's not taught by schools and governments and central banks, it is the parent's responsibility to teach it to the children. If you want to raise a wealthy money and health and well-being and well-adjusted child if they don't become Lionel Messi, which I'm not here to pop anyone's dream, but the statistics are not on your side. No, they're not. They're not. 
And by the way, if your child is not Lionel Messi, that does not make your child or you a failure. Because I had to go through this myself. My son was the th about the third best golfer in the world, age six. He played in the world championships, the British championships. And, you know, now he's 12 and he's still a pretty good golfer. He's probably, what, 22 handicap? Yeah. yeah. He's probably not going to be the best in the world. Does that mean I failed as a parent? No. Does that mean he failed as a child? No. I love my boy. And oh, I, it was a great experience. But, and, and by the way, if he decides he wants to become a pro golfer, he's... He's got it. He could be, but it's got to come from him, not me. I'd love it to come from me, but my son is not me. How do you teach him about money? Okay, so, um, well, the wrong way to do it is to constant... Well, right, let, let me start again. The way to teach anything effectively, you have to have the fertile ground in which the soil grows. So I'm sure you see this all the time. There are kids that don't really want to play football and their parents are pushing them. And the problem with that is, even though it probably does come from love from the parent, or sometimes it can come from living vicariously through them, the child is not the fertile soil. So in order to teach your child anything, they have to want to learn it. And this is the problem with the school system, is they're not told why or shown why or they're not bought into wanting to learn. Now, generally, children, do you know the saying, monkey see, monkey do? You know, I like any child. I mean, being a parent is really hard. My kids are nine and 12. And, you know, my, my son doesn't really do anything I tell him, but he does copy things I do. Mm. So I take him to work. I try and get him involved in the world of money because what he sees me doing, he'll do. What I try and tell him, he often will resist. So, yes, you can tell but it's better to show, i.e., if instead of saying, oh, son, you've got to listen to this podcast on money, you know, age four, listen to podcasts yourself on money and let them come to you with curiosity and inquisition, which they will. Um, and because most people learn best through osmosis, seeping through, through the experience, when it is shown rather than told. So, you know, that might mean you have to dig yourself out of a difficult situation. Now, that's difficult if someone's born into poverty. You know, and I know, like you said, the grassroots can be harsh, but you can always try. Um, and in my experience, that's the best way to, to teach someone. And some, like, tangible audio books because money had a... A big impact on me, your book, um, The Psychology of Money, Millionaire Next Door. Are there any others that you might recommend? Um, I don't think The Psychology of Money is any good. Really? I think it's a load of shit. Okay. Because I think it's just a book about 
average statistics. Interesting. Um, and, you know, for example, the study, I've read that book, I've read all the books on money. Um, and going back to this study on, well, anything over £75,000, you don't get any material extra benefit in happiness. Well, how many people were studied? Oh, yeah. Was it just a was it a cross section of everyone? Probably yeah. not. How many billionaires were, put, were in that study? That's been it, dispelled recently as well. That it's gone up. I saw an article that said it's well, gone up above a hundred thousand now. Well, seventy five now now is what thirty was back then. So what seventy five was back then for inflation? Yeah, like I said, might be two hundred. It's just claptrap. Mm. It's nonsense. Um, now, look, you could say, oh, well, Rob, you know, it's all right for you because... But, and I was broke. I was 50 grand in debt. I was broke. I worked in a pub. I was earning 200 quid a week. I was spending 300 quid a week. A car loan for a car that I'd sold. I didn't have the car left and I still had a load of debt on it. I've been broke and I've been rich. And I can tell you being rich is much better. Mm. Much better. Now, did I have to work on myself a lot as well? Yes. And does the paper itself make you happy? No. But I reckon if you asked the average person, tell me your ideal life. Because the problem with surveying people about money, so all of a sudden they start thinking about money and they bring in all their, here's a study we should do. Yeah. Uh, this could be the first place it's ever said. Sit a cross section of people down from zero air to billionaire, make sure there's enough of them, 10,000, 50,000. Harry, just write this down. Maybe we should do this. And ask them, what's your ideal life? And get them to really paint the picture. And then let's work out how much that costs. Mm. And then let's work out if 75 grand or 100 grand can finance that. Mm. Oh, and by the way, you halve it with tax. I'm telling you, most person's ideal life will cost half a million quid, a million quid, 10 million quid. And that is possible to make that kind of money and to live your ideal life. And why would you live any other life if you could help it? But you have so to, you asked me tangible. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think a lot of this is tangible. Yeah. I think you're drilling for, for very specifics. The problem is you need the fertile soil. So like, I know I'm biased, but I think my book, Money, is more balanced, more neutral, more accurate. Um, than a lot of these average books and studies. The next thing is, wh why are we talking about happiness? Money is a tool. Yeah. Happiness is something else. Yeah. Like, let me ask you this. Is the goal of life to be happy? One of, in my opinion. Okay. So um, if you are happy, content, now for the rest of your life, what would that mean? You're right. Yeah, I see you saying. You you probably wouldn't hustle. You probably wouldn't build and produce and struggle and solve problems. If you're always happy, how do you have any context? And you know, you only know what happy is because you know what sad is. You only know what elated is because you know what depressed is. So what happiness is? And by the way, happiness can have forty different connotations. Elation, arousal, contentment, joy, fulfillment, excitement. They're all subsets of happiness. So in order for these studies to be accurate, which they're fucking not, 
Sorry, if I'm not allowed to no, swear. Sorry, That's the first right. one. No, first no, no, one. No. I've been holding them in. <laughs> I, think, so, I think he's had a few. Yeah. No, no, yeah, that was yeah. the first one, surely. Okay, so we need to be more accurate. Oh, anything above 70 grand doesn't make the average person more happy. Well, who's the average person and what is happiness? And the people don't question this stuff. Mm. I'd love to debate the scientists who create these studies. I would wipe the floor with them. Yeah. So I don't think the purpose of life is happiness. I, I mean, you know, would, is Cristiano Ronaldo happy all the time? Of course he's fucking not. Look at him. You know, he's training hard. He's made sacrifices. He probably hates the food he eats. You know, look at the security issues he has to deal with. You know, he, he, he was stroppy as fuck when he went back to Man United. That was not easy. Cristiano Ronaldo is not going around going, oh, well, you know, you just need 75 grand a year to be happy. He wants to be an amazing footballer and be the best. And he knows his struggle and grit and graft and hustle and cold mornings and late nights. And this is why he's great. So happy is not great. So what do you want to be? If you want to be happy, well, here's the thing as well. Oh, I just want to be happy. Okay, so... Don't face challenges thinking that you're happy. And what will happen is this. You'll be relieved in the moment that you don't have to do the hard thing. And then later you'll be full of regret. So this is very nuanced and very technical. Yeah. So, um, no, I, I can't. What other books on money could I recommend other than my own? I don't want to sound like... Um, what did you think of Rich Dad, Poor Dad? I think it's a very good conceptual blue sky book on understanding the difference between assets and liabilities and employee versus entrepreneur yeah. and, and a very good allegory stroke story. Apparently there is no... Apparently the Rich Dad is a, a story of fiction. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of... So I think it's a very good conceptual book. And, and these, the books that do well in society are often dumbed down into parables and stories. And that is the artistry in Robert Kiyosaki, in Rich Dad, Poor Dad. But it's not a how-to book. Uh, I've given you more tactical things, tangible, mm. in 10 minutes here than Rich Dad... I could tell you what Rich Dad, Poor Dad is. Know the difference between an asset and a liability and know the difference between being employed and, and being an entrepreneur. And uh, instead of working for your money, get your work, money working hard for you. Yeah. Job done. That's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. There's a few examples. Like, there's one example that comes to my mind when I think about Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and it's the one where his boy went to the local neighbour or to the poor dad and was mowing the lawn, and then the poor dad paid the child money, and then the rich dad got annoyed at that because he said... I don't want my child to learn at a young age to exchange their time for money. Are these the sorts of principles that you teach to your children? I can't remember that part of the book because I read it 17 years ago. So I want to be careful of the context here. So I'm not going to refer to that story in the book. Sure. But I'm going to answer that question. Um, if my kid is 11... And he's got the kahunas, and I've raised him that way, to go and knock on someone's door and mow their lawn for 20 quid. I think that's brilliant. 
and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reward him for that because you can't make passive income from assets at age 11 when you haven't even earned 20 quid mowing a lawn. So like I said, this might be out of context. I'm just going on what you said. But in order to have your money working hard for you, first you have to work hard to make some money. And, you know, if you want to become the CEO, you might have to start at the bottom. You know, in football, you have to go up through the academy and through the ranks. This is normal. No one just gets to be the CEO or be in the Premier League. It doesn't work like that. So I want to teach my kid how to go up the ranks. And you start by mowing the lawns and getting paid 20 quid. So what I would teach my kid is, you know, that was good hustle. That was fair exchange. What are you going to do with that 20 quid? And I always say to my kids, save a third, spend a third, invest a third. Do you? Yeah, just save a third, spend a third, invest a third. How frequently and do you Save a that? third, spend a third, invest a third. <laughs> How frequently? Do you have signs in the house? Just drum it, just drum it. Save drum a third, it. spend a third, invest a third. If, you, if, you, if my kid was here now and, um, you know, they had 20 quid in their hand, what are you going to do with it? Save a third, spend a third, invest a third. That's very cool. Because um, you can when you've got no overhead. You can't spend, you can't spend only a third of your income when you're a 35-year-old with two kids and a mortgage and two cars, unless you earn masses of money. Yeah. But you, you can start that way. Um, so in order to have your money working hard for you, you first have to work hard for your money. You know, in order to get passive income, first you need to get active income. You know, Slade and Mariah Carey, they earn half a million a year from their Christmas number ones. That's passive income. Still had to write the songs. Still had to do all the gigs. How, 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 long, how many empty pubs had Slade played in their career before they finally wrote their one big Christmas number one? It might have been 20 years worth. Who knows? Because mm. like you said, most footballers who are the best, they started at age four or six. So, no, I, I don't want my kids to play snakes and ladders thinking that they can go up imaginary ladders. They have to play the game. They have to go up the board. Yeah. You would have, in all the different businesses that you've had over time, you would have had a number of different people who've got more of an entrepreneurial spirit than others. And some people will say, I mean, we're going into like becoming a footballer, how much is down to nature and nurture? I believe that so much is down to nurture. Um, and, and the upbringing. So that comes again with people who go into employment, like what sort of starts they had in life. Now, some parents, they are not comfortable with being an entrepreneur. They weren't raised that way. So they might be listening to this and like the idea of, oh, my kid being an entrepreneur, but wouldn't even know where to start and very, find it very, very hard to pass that on. Mm. What advice would you give to those parents? What, that want to raise entrepreneurial kids? Well, kind of like listening to the advice and trying to think, oh man, like maybe I need to try and get my kids to be more entrepreneurial because that seems to be kind of like the advice. It, it's, it's like have, you're, you're trying to, what I'm in, how I'm interpreting it is that you're saying that children should learn to be business owners from a very young age. No. No? No, I'm, no, I'm not. Okay. Because 
Society needs doctors, dentists, lawyers, accountants, nurses. It needs us all. Yeah. What I think parenting is technical, nuanced, and complicated. Okay. I'm not trying to caveat myself, but it is. And uh, like, I'm going to give you my version of good parenting. That is to give your child an equally supportive and challenged environment in which you instill values, beliefs, and skills into them, which you believe are best for them, not you, them, and you also equally honor their own uniqueness, and then you equally support and challenge them as you raise them to help them discover their own path in life and do it in a way that hopefully holds them to a high moral and ethical and values standpoint. I think that's a simple but also very specific technical definition of what maybe is a good parent. Me trying to get you to be a nurse when you don't want to be one because I want to be one, it's not good parenting. It's a square peg in a round hole. It's teaching a fish to swim. And I learned that the hard way because the, the main reason, I, look, I wanted my son to be great at golf because I thought, golf, great life, you know, long career, great money, amazing skill set, hugely valuable. And that, that, was, that was true, but it was the justification. What the truth was, I want my son to live my dream. My son will, I now know my son will live my dream if he lives his dream. And that's what I think a good, a good parent is. So if you see that entrepreneur, if you, you so which what this means is, because sometimes I'm like, fucking hell, right? My, my kids have learned the drums, the violin, the flute. They go to this class, that class, this yeah, class. Yeah, yeah. What do they want to do? Who do? And like, oh. But in the end, you'll go, whoa, wait a minute. Look at that. Mm. And they'll be really good at something. And they'll really enjoy it. And I think it's like a juggling act mm. of letting them try as many things as possible. And then, wait a minute, look at that. They love that. They're interesting that they're good at that. Okay. Flog the violin on eBay. You know, cancel the yoga classes. Tell us about this. Would you like some help? In the, and, and support, guide, and, and naturally help them create the path by all these roads, removing them and creating them. And they feel like they're driving their own ship and you're just supporting them. And then... They're really good at something they want to give up. And then when, that's when you have to challenge them and go, well, wait a minute. And not just, oh, I spent two grand on your drums, you little shit. You know, but wait a minute, you're really good at this. And I remember when I was really good at football and I gave up because I didn't think I was good enough. You know, and maybe they, maybe they do carry on or maybe they give it up, but it's always there. And, and that, I think, is 
good parenting. Mm. And that's fucking hard. Mm. There's no shortcut here. That's hard. Um, at now, look, there are some, there, there are extreme cases. I studied them all, by the way. Yeah. Venus and Serena Williams. Yeah. Tiger, Tiger yeah. Woods. You yeah. know, there are some extreme examples where essentially the parent drove the child to be. But would I rather my son is Leo, Leo Messi and have a really fucked up relationship with him because I drove him? Like Andre Agassi. Yeah, I mean, he, like, he was Hates basically, yeah. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's always the case. Because, by the way, I know some people, This is, you, you, you would know better than me. Some kids of successful parents become very successful and their parents try their best not to let them get into it. Really? Yeah. Okay. Is... Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. All right. I'm thinking of quite a few footballers yeah. like that. Yeah. Exactly. Where, um, because they're full, their void in their life is full because they're a successful footballer. They don't need to fill that void for through their child. So they're not. I bet you most professional footballers are not really that bothered if they're children become professional footballers. I bet you it's all failed footballers or injured footballers. There exactly you go. It. Because this is nature. Yeah. So the people who are full in themselves don't need to fill themselves up through their children. And so then these children of the parents who were successful become successful because they just watch their dad being a great footballer. And they're like, yeah, I like that. I want to try that. And they do it through osmosis and not through being lectured and pushed but you know it's very difficult not to love your child conditionally and i i think being a great person is a parent is unconditional love where your child does not have to have a good game of football to get your love your child gets your love because they are your child and that's difficult when you've got competitive high expectation high-performing parents. If your child didn't spend a third, save a third, invest a third, would you be disappointed? No. No. Um... My, my son, Bobby, is 12. My wife is like, you know, really closely parenting him. And so Bobby's there like, mommy, 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 gotta do this, gotta do that, gotta do this, can't do this, can't do that. Then he goes to school and all of his mates are like trying to play this computer game, do this, do that, and he's got all that. And then he's got his teachers. And then there's me. And every, like, You've got to have sympathy for the, the child here. Everybody is trying to tell the child what to do and who to be. So I'm not fully in control of how my child grows up and who they become because I'm one of only, unless I spend 24 hours a day with my son, his friends and my, my wife, by the way, one of the best things you can do, I mean, this might be too late for some people, i just got to say it, because I've, I've seen the good and the bad. One of the best things you can do to raise a good child is pick your husband or wife 
very fucking carefully. If you pick a psycho, it's ruined from the start. We've all got a story about that. So let's assume mum's good, dad's good. His teachers, his friends, his mum are probably having as much, if not more, impact on their lives than his dad. Because his dad's also got to run his empire. And so all I can do is the best I can do. So if I keep saying and drumming in, save a third, because what's a better teacher, me or life? Mm. Honestly, I think I'm a pretty good teacher. But, but like, let's say he's fucking broke one day. Oh, daddy, I ain't got any money. Where's the third that you always would save and invest? Oh, I didn't save that or invest that. Why not? I told you 900 times. Oh, yada, yada. Oh, okay, what's happened? Oh, I'm broke. What's the lesson? Mm. And sometimes life does the teaching. Mm. Now, if you don't give them enough support, life can be too brutal. If you give them too much challenge, parenting is too brutal. You've got, this is, there's a lot of juxtapositioning going on there. Mm. So... Do the best you can with what you know. Make sure that the, the, best way you, the best way you can teach anyone is to be the exemplar of what you, practice what you preach. That's ultimately, I think, the best way. Can you manufacture some of the challenges? So let's say you're giving the kid pocket money and then at 13 years old, you know, they have some sort of problem with losing that money and that becomes a life lesson but it's kind of contained and that's where they learn it rather than having to get to 30 year old and then it all blows up and yeah well i i think if more of those lessons happened when they were teens less would happen when they're 30 and 40 yeah so the another thing i think about parenting yeah is like i think the mistakes we make as parents is we try and teach the kids how we want them to be. I actually think good parenting is showing our kids how the world really is. Mm. So if you give your kid too much support, cuddly, molly coddly, you've got an entitled, dependent, juvenile person. If there is too much challenge, that's abuse, and you break them, and they're a broken physical and emotional mess. Ideally, you want to be in the middle because life is like that. Life rewards you for your effort and for your smarts and for your hustle. But it is fucking brutal. <laughs> if, you, if you go around acting like a dick or you don't know how life works, life's brutal. And a lot of things we take for granted. Um, if your child is petulant, and emotional, and then at 21 years old, they're locked in prison and they're petulant and emotional in prison. They're fucked. So, you know, that's an extreme. Very extreme. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this is the hard thing about life is, that, you know, you, you can do everything you can and you still are. But so the best thing you can do, I believe, is to teach, and, and it must be the same in football, You've you got to teach kids what it really is like to be a professional footballer. It's not all sunshines and rainbows and sponsorships and contracts and UEFA Champions League. 
It's grassroots. It's fucking brutal injuries. You know, I sometimes think, I'm a Liverpool fan, I'm 44. And I imagine if I was Stevie Gerrard and I'm lining up against Roy Keane, I'm thinking, fucking hell, am I going to get my leg broken? I mean, he was brutal. And, th and, and it's January and it's pissing it down and it's freezing cold. So there's the fantasy of what football is and there's the reality of what football is. Now, by the way, football can give you all that beauty and all that money and all that fandom. You know, look at David Beckham. He married Victoria Beckham and now he owns Inter, is it Inter Miami. And, you know, he's, he's made a great life for himself. But fucking hell, he worked for that. And I think as a parent, you've got to try and show your kids how the world is. But what we do is we go, oh, well, I want this and that and the other. And we cloud the world is kind, the world is cruel, the world is easy, the world is hard, the world is challenging, the world is supportive. And, and I think that the greatest gift we can do to raise good professional footballers is the same thing. Because at the end of the day, if we live in a fantasy, yeah. there will be a reality check at some point. Yeah. And I'm sure you can see kids and you think, fucking hell, they're talented, they're really good, but they, they need a wake-up call. And you know it's coming and you know how they get it and when they get it. Mm. And, um, yeah. Is it true that money is typically lost within three generations? Well, generally, um, I mean, it depends where you start in the cycle. Okay. But let's say you start not born into wealth. Yeah. Generation one makes it. Generation two inherits and tries to manage it. And generation three squanders it. Normally the case. Why? Because generation three didn't learn what generation one learned on how to make it. This is why lottery winners go bust. This is why 40% of footballers go bust. A footballer knows how to play football. 40% of footballers only know how to go bust. Because that's what they know. So... If a footballer can earn good money and learn how to make and manage money, learn how to be savvy with your, your sponsorship deals and your contracts and, and things like that, because, you know, that's all part of it. If you're a great football player and you're a, a good Robbie Fowler, played for Liverpool, yeah. bought a load of houses, yeah. job done, because he, you know, you know, he... he he learned that. Yeah. And, and now he's got a career in, you know, property and TV and, and, and blah, blah, blah. And, and then there's other footballers like him who probably earned as much money as him and have got nothing now. Yeah. What's the difference? The difference is what they learned about how to manage their money. Mm. Unfortunately, Paul Merson blew millions. Yeah. And Robbie Fowler invested millions. So um, preparing for this episode... Um, I spoke to quite a few of my friends at work, various different like top clubs, and I was asking them what it's like for the sort of under 18s and under 21s, um, and getting a picture of what a first contract will be like at a top club. Um, a low end first professional contract will be about a hundred thousand a year. Um, good one probably is maybe like three hundred thousand. Um, but like these young lads are spending 90% of what they get. I wouldn't be surprised if they're spending 105% yeah, of yeah, what they get. Yeah. 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 Um, it's, it's the uh, private, um, the private shopper at Selfridges. 
It's the private room at Nobu. It's okay. the VIP so holidays. That stuff you've just mentioned. Yeah. You should be buying from passive income from assets. If you are spending savings and capital and earnings on those things, yeah, then you can earn money and always. Here's a little saying. Don't go broke trying to look rich. And that sort of stuff sounds like trying to look rich. My friend said, cool becomes the culture. They are all inspired by Jaden Sancho, whoever it might be, and what they spend and how they live. But they're not earning what they live. Sancho, his contract is reportedly 350000 per week, not per year. And he's about to get ditched by Man United. He's gonna go. He's gonna be all right. But yeah, I, I know what you mean. Um, Maybe he's got himself distracted. But but regardless of that, what the point I'm trying to make is that these young individuals, it's become a culture where they are looking up to these Premier League footballers that they think they're gonna be. And you've made the point quite a few times, which I agree with, where you talked about like business people, successful entrepreneurs. They, they have to kind of be quite ridiculous people because they think they're going to be a statistically statistic anomaly. And footballers are the same. They have to have just crazy belief that they're going to be the exception to the rule. So it, maybe their spending you know, is in line with their confidence. They believe that they're going to be that footballer and they spend because they're like, oh, it's all right, I'm going to get that contract. But then what my friend was saying is that players start becoming ostracized if they don't spend the money because they don't go to that party, they don't buy that bottle, they don't buy those clothes, and then they're a bit of an outsider in the tribe. Okay, so I'd like people to think about this. You should act your wage, not your age. And these people, they are not acting their wage because... They're earning 100 grand a year, which is 47 and a half grand a year after the taxes, depending on the bracket. And then you spend a thousand quid on one bottle of champagne. It doesn't, it doesn't add up. You don't need to do that. Now, look, if being good with money is, means my peers snigger and criticize me so be it because in five years when i've got 50 rental properties and the passive income is paying for nobu and crystal i'll be the one laughing and they'll be ostracized out of my tribe and if people will judge me for the where and how I spend my money, are they my tribe? I would not say so. I want to be around people who encourage me to invest, to build wealth. So I get culture and I get peer pressure, but you are also you and you have an identity. And you've got to think about what you want. Now, um, If you live now 
like others won't, then in 10 or 15 years, you can live like others can't. Regardless of whether you get the 350 grand a week contract or not. Because if you earn 100 grand a year, you can still invest 10 to 15 grand a year. And then that goes up to 150 and you're going to invest 20 to 30 grand a year. Then that goes up to 300. And then by the time you're earning 350 grand a week, you could easily have overheads of only 20 or 25 grand and still live a good life. And all that extra money is going into real estate, gold. And, and also, all these people involved in this cool culture, they don't know any different. They haven't been taught it by schools. They haven't read my book. They know, they know football. And they know cool. They don't know rich. So in the end, though, what are they going to think is cooler? Because, like... You know, how, how many bottles of Cristal have you bought in the last three years? Or, you know, how many properties do you own? Mm. What my business partner says. Is, yeah. My business partner likes to just crack on, be smart with his money, invest, yeah. and say nothing. And then in three or four years, you have a conversation with your friends. And all of a sudden, you're just having your glass of Cristal, mm. which you can pay from rental income. And you're just chatting, and all of a sudden it falls out of your mouth that you have 50 properties. And all your mates are like, what the fuck? Don't think you're going to be ostracized then. I think that's going to be a pretty cool thing. Yeah. You don't even have to, but like, um, th there's nothing wrong with declining going to the fancy restaurant or declining drinking the booze or whatever. You know, I see a lot of people, I don't drink. I would, ne I would never buy a £1,000 bottle of champagne with a fucking firecracker out the top. I think it's the most grotesque thing ever. I do have seven supercars, and maybe other people think that's grotesque, but I have seven supercars paid from passive income or profits from assets that I've invested in for the last 17 years. So anything that... I, I, I eat in all these fancy restaurants, but it's paid by passive income from assets. And when I was broke and investing and building my way up, I didn't go to those places because I was acting my wage. Mm. Nothing wrong with acting your wage for a bit. And, you know, the sacrifice you make now will be worth it later. Chelsea bring in a group called the Money Coaches. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Um, no. And they speak to our under 18 and under 21 players. I told you before, I was invited to come and speak at Chelsea. I can't remember why that, that didn't happen. Well, you know, if we can re-organise re, that conversation. I want to help as many people as yeah, possible. Yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely. Do you think that's... That, me and my friend, we didn't think that that was early enough to start these conversations and build in that education. Well, no, it's not, but today is better than tomorrow. True, true. So the sooner you can start, the sooner you can start. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd talk to 12-year-olds, I'd talk to the 15-year-olds, I'd talk to the 18-year-olds, I'd talk to the 21-year-olds. Yeah. I'd talk to the 35-year-olds who are about to retire. I don't care. I, I know the nuances and the differences at, at each stage. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so 18 and 21, ideally you're catching them earlier than that because that's when people's per personalities are formed much earlier than that. But better, better to get that knowledge at 18 than 42 or never get it. That's it. And I think it's, it's a hard 
like you said, juxtaposition where we, me and my friend, we were talking about these Cat One Academies and we were kind of like saying, what percentage of the group of under 18s, under 21s get to play championship and above? And I looked into it. The average wage in the championship in 2016, 2017 was 10,000 pound a week. Um, so upwards of that, I mean, that might have gone up a bit, but I think it's probably you know, around about similar. But 5% of the under 18s, under 21s, we believe, will make that grade. So everyone else, they're going to be playing lower league football in Belgium, America, lower league football in England, and they're going to be earning, you know, not, not great money. So that first, yeah. first money they got, that first contract, now, what do they do with that? Like, okay, what so, do they do with that? If you follow the rule of never spend more than you earn, and you, over time as you earn more money, increase the percentage that you save and invest. If you earn five grand a week, you could become a millionaire in ten years and financially free in fifteen to twenty easily, even if you don't earn a huge amount of money. That's enough because of the law of compounding. Um, so it doesn't matter where you're at. It matters. Like if you can't manage a hundred pounds well, how are you going to manage a million pounds well? You're not. So start with where you're at. Learn to manage what you've got. Do some of the things I've said already. Okay. So let's say someone's got a reasonable contract and they're thinking about what they can do with the money. Um, so th th there's a few things you can do. It really, I'll give you some really simple things. Download the Hargreaves Lansdowne app, yeah, or Vanguard or Charles Stanley. And they are apps where you can personally invest your money into funds or stocks, individuals or groups of companies. Um, without needing an IFA and paying a massive amount of fees. And I recommend to start, you keep it really simple, and you invest in the FTSE 100 or the S&P 500. So the S&P 500 are the top 500 American companies, and the S&P, the FTSE 100 are the top 100 British companies. Now, in the last, I think, 10 years, I think, you just check this, but the FTSE's gone up 79%. I think... The S&P 100 is more like three or 400%, just because the American companies are bigger and more successful. But, you know, maybe that makes British companies undervalued, I don't know, but a bit in both. And you could, do you know what? You can set up, a, set up a direct debit and you could do 20 pounds a week and then 50 pounds a week and then 100 pounds a week and then 200 pounds a week. And it just goes out and you don't even see it and you just don't spend it and it goes out before you spend all your money. And then what you do, when you buy the, the share or you, you invest into the fund, you can draw the dividends or accumulate reinvested dividends. There's no point drawing it now because there's not enough, you know, a 2% profit on 100 pounds is nothing. So what you do is you just press accumulate and it just accumulates and all the dividends you get reinvest and reinvest and the pot gets bigger 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 and the pot gets bigger. And, gets bigger. and imagine if you did that for 10 or 15 or 20 years and you didn't even think about it. You didn't even know that it was money coming in. You know, you, you could be a millionaire just doing that. That is possible. Yeah. So that's one thing. Yeah. The next thing is as soon as you can get into property, get into property. 
Right. Whether it's a buy to let or you buy your own place or you buy your own place and you rent out two or three of the rooms. But get into property. Don't wait to buy property, buy property and wait. I own 340 properties and my properties make me you know, many, many millions of pounds. Um, and obviously you can get mortgages, you know, if you're earning that kind of money, you're going to get a good mortgage. I imagine being a footballer is you know, pretty good on mortgage companies' criteria of what they want. Um, Apparently, they have to declare themselves as self-employed, but they are still on payroll, which okay. I think is something that the government organised because there was too many footballers setting themselves up as limited companies and then being able to right, yeah. divert their payments. Yeah, and, and I get why a footballer would want to do that when they earn a load of money and they pay more than half of it in tax. Yeah. Um, so property would you know, be something you want to try and get into. Now, I'll tell you what's really smart for a footballer to do is to find out which other footballers in the club are the smart ones at investing. Because, mm. you know, the first team, the second team, or the under-21s or the under-18s, there are going to be one or two in there, or three or four, that are smart with their money. And you want to beeline over to them. and They're the ones you want to get to know. No disrespect here, but... Fuck all the guys going down to Nobu and drinking, you know, Cristal. Who are the? You, you probably won't see the the really successful ones doing that. Have a little bit of a chat, who, you know. Robbie Fowler's got loads of fucking property. We all live in a Robbie Fowler house. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So, all right. So you know that. <laughs> and, and and you generally the one that gets the contract and then buys the two hundred grand car. It generally isn't that person. Can I ask you a question? Is it um these car clauses now? Uh, like clubs having clauses where these sort of younger footballers can't just go and buy a big expensive car because well, they're trying to look after them and manage their money well. Yeah, I believe so. I think there's this phrase that's often used too much too soon. And this was actually a question that I had for you where if, yeah, they're given so much money, how do they keep their feet on the ground? How do they keep doing all the things that they were doing that made them the footballer in the first place? Yeah, do you see this with you know business? You know, in your career, when you started to make like huge amounts of money, how did you stay driven to work as hard as you had previously? Well, I think having a vision and a purpose. So you know, yeah, with, with foot, football, just you focus on the football. Yeah, um, and don't try not to take your eye off the football. Um, that would be one. You know, the desire for constant improvement. Um, and to be better at what you do. Yeah, there's loads of trappings and distractions in life. Buying a nice car isn't necessarily one of them. It's an easy thing to say. Oh, yeah, well, look, you know, the reason they're playing shit is because they just bought an, a nice new car and they've forgotten where they came from. It's not always the case. Life's more complicated than that. Mm. You know, like I said with Jaden Sancho, yeah. and there'll be a lot of nuances to that. And it won't just be because he's earning 350 grand a week. I'm sure he wants to be the best footballer he can be. Yeah. Could just be, he could have just pissed off the manager or he could have, it could be a lot of things. So it's, it's nuanced. Um, too much too soon. Well, who, who's the judge? Look, at the end of the day, a footballer can make any contract, a, a football club can make any contract they want. I wouldn't really see it like that. I, I'd want to educate them. I wouldn't want to hamstring them in a contract. I'd want to educate them. And then if they go and buy a silly car, well, then they can learn the hard way when they have to sell it for one third of its value. And uh, a lot of the, the other players turn their nose up. That's the, the real lesson. Um, that's the life lesson, isn't it? Mm. it it's, you said it in your intro. Get better financial knowledge. Yeah. Footballer, dentist, doctor, lawyer, 
mother, father, brother, sister. And yeah, you know, it's footballing is one element. And sometimes, sometimes the more money you make, it's a greater curse because you don't know how to manage the money. So content, membership sites, social media, e-commerce, you know, arbitraging, buying and selling. Brilliant businesses to start. And a footballer who's got some talent and wants to be Leo Messi, but maybe is not there yet, can do that on the side mm. because they've got time. Because, you know, as we know in sport, rest is, is important and it's a science and you have to rest sometimes. And, you know, you're not playing football 24-7. You think you are and you convince yourself you are, but you're not. And you can, you can do 10 or 15 hours a week on a side hustle. And, okay, you know, maybe you'll make it as a footballer, maybe you won't. But if you don't, you've got another business there. I agree. Do you um, send your school, children to private school or state school? Private school. Okay. And the reason being is because I just feel like it was important to my wife. And I feel like if I've got the means to do that, to give my child the best head start, I would just feel guilty. I mean, you know, grades wise, it's better. You could argue that there's some benefits of state schools if they're a bit more grassroots. If someone hasn't got the resources to send someone to a private school, I completely empathise with that. I have got the resources and I felt that it was important to deploy those resources. Do you ever worry that the teachers teach things to your children that you don't want them to learn? Yeah, I'm sure. Like, I'm sure 60 to 70% of what might go into my kids' ears, I'm like... Ugh. But I can't control their every move, every waking hour. All I can do is be me and try and influence them positively. So if you can be aware of what school you send them to and who you hang... I mean, who your The peers that your children hang around with is the single most important thing, I would say, behind your parenting. You know, the, their friends. You know, they get in the wrong crowd and then that can be over. So, yeah, you know, that's something I, I worry about, but... You can't control everything. You can only... So I try and control the controllables. Have I got them in a good school? Yeah. Are they more likely to be taught good and useful things at a better school than a worse school? Yeah. Are they more likely to be around the right peer group? Yeah. I'm trying my best. I might not get it always right. Well... Rob. Is it lasagna time? I think it's lasagna time. No, I, I, um, this lasagna was good last time <laughs> I came here. No, um, I, I've absolutely, you know, loved hearing from you. Um, you know, I, I knew a lot about your work already. So um, I probably had in my mind a lot of your answers. I, I kind of expected, but still there was a lot that's unexpected. And I, I've learned a lot and I hope um, our followers have learned a lot as well. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much for your time.